it's always been relationship. Always. From the time that you started this, you knew relationship mattered. But not yeah. relationship just with the youth pastor. And the whole mindset back in the 90s was find a good youth worker, find a good youth pastor, give them what they need, uh, get a Class B bus license and a guitar, right. and let them go do their thing. And after the two suicides in my first decade of ministry, um, the one kid's mom died within a year of a stroke, and we know she died of a broken heart. She sat right next to Arliss in, at Jostens. And um, the other kid's dad had a heart attack. That launched us into systems thinking, and we knew that you can't fix a broken system <clears throat> by ignoring the most important parts of the system. We tried to surround the kids at... My second church, whose youth pastor just killed himself, a greatly beloved youth pastor, by breaking everything down into a carload of kids, a carload of kids. Mm. And still we were doing ministry for them. We were doing, at least they had an adult to talk to when their adolescent brains were going nuts and they didn't know what to do. Yeah. But we were still putting up an outsourced system. And for a decade... You know, tens of thousands of adults entered youth ministry who didn't even plan on it. Yeah, to be confirmation to guides. To be confirmation guides. And the whole church changed with that and blessed them and great. I mean, at least some kids got some personal care that, you know, if you're in a little church and there's only three or six, six kids... You're already a small group. You're already a small group. So that was natural. It worked so much better for the small church. We were trying to do the, the youth ministry program that everybody wanted, you know, the upfront stuff, and still the pastoral care that can only happen in a small group. And it worked. It worked great. It worked beautifully for that time. For that time. Um, the conviction, or the, uh, the haunting piece of it is, yeah, but where are those kids now in the church? Yeah. They're 30 now, and are they in the church? Did they come back? Some of them did. Maybe yeah. they had a meaningful thing, and they were giving, and they wanted to give back. That whole thing, you can't come back to a place you've never been. At least we got them there when they were there. Yeah, But over the time then, we started to realize we cannot outsource faith formation to a paid staff, to a youth worker, to a, you know, some young adult who's maybe closer to their age. I remember ha having a, 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 a literal argument with Mike Iaconelli, <coughs> Mike Iaconelli on stage in Seattle at Christopher Crady's church at Camp Lutheran, and uh, where... He flew in from Brazil to be one of our guests on a, a deal that AAL sponsored. And uh, he did his talk, and then we had question and answer time. And somebody in the crowd said, is it better for the kids to have their parent or an, you know, somebody else? Right. And Mike, oh, oh, don't have the parent be the small group leader. They won't share, da-da-da-da. <laughs> and we have it on video someplace. We should dig it out. It's probably a video that's like an inch thick or something. But, and I said, you know, um, the... When they come home at 26 with two kids, a dog, and a broken marriage, they're not coming to me. I know who the youth, real youth minister is. We just have to get out of the way. And it's time for the church to give the parents back to the kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not the kids back to the parents. Which brings us to Amy Kippen, <laughs> who is maybe the oldest think around because we knew her, Arliss knew her when she was a, a baby in her arms. <laughs> Um, no, she's Arliss is not Amy's mother. Uh, <laughs> um, 
So <laughs> Amy came out to Colorado. In what year was it? Um, two, I don't know, 2000. No, I don't no, know. No, it would be the Early last millennium. 90, yeah. 90-something to cook for us. And something got, something got put on her heart. What got put on Amy's heart? Huh. Uh, what got put on my heart? You're a single mom. You're working I was. a couple jobs. You're volunteering at church. You're leading worship. Yeah, I just... I felt like the things... I had, I had been invited to be a confirmation guide at our church... And I'd never done anything like that before. I thought, I don't even really even like teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, yeah, so I started doing that. And then I, because of my involvement with Faith Incubators and we were using Head to the Heart at the church that I was at, then I just started getting interested in stuff. And I started actually seeing how it made a difference. So like the kids um, having, um, being in a small group and a caring small group and having a place to kind of share highs and lows and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, at that time, we were calling Faith Five Home Huddles, which I really love that term still. Love, love, love it. Huddle um, up. Yeah, because if teams huddle up and what would and a if team they don't, do if they did? They're just flailing yeah, around right, calling exactly. audibles all day long. So then I, um, I learned about that and then I started doing it with my own kid and then... And then I just really got on fire for that idea. Like, what does it mean to actually, for a parent, like, I remember my church always tried to get me to, like, teach Sunday school, and I was like, ah. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm sorry, like, I think you got the wrong person, like, just because I was extroverted, and I could sing and lead music and whatever, they, that was just like a natural, well, you should be a Sunday school teacher, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know anything about that, but I basically just didn't think that I had I didn't think I had what it took to lead anyone in faith, especially my own child. Like, no, the church was supposed to do that. They were the ones who knew what to do. And so I... How old was Nicole? Oh, Early she's 90s. like eight. Yeah, I think. Mid-90s. No, it was, yeah, it was probably late 90s now by this time. But anyway... But she so wasn't I just, a teenager yet. No, no. Uh, no, she was nine. Actually, when she was nine when I learned about this and started doing home huddles with her. And then, and then got really... Um, empowered actually I thought oh I can I can do this and then and then started seeing all of the results of that where she was like sharing stuff with me that I I knew she wouldn't otherwise share with me and like stuff that she was sharing with me that I knew her friends weren't sharing with their parents and I started to notice a difference in the way that our relationship was compared to like some of her friends with their parents there was always this weird I don't know like power dynamic or something like that and and then, because we were, like, praying together, which at first seemed really s strange and weird, but, like, as we were doing that, it just got to be so normal. And then I just thought, anybody can do this. And that, I think, is what ignited, really, in the end, like, a super ignited a passion in me. So even though in 15 years of ministry, that is still what I'm most passionate about, is to help parents to know they they have everything they need, like, they have everything they need, and I'm going to give them a tool that they can, uh, like, talk with their kids about. And and it's all the things that you've all always talked about, you know, communication and helping people to have an identity in Christ and having people, kids grow up knowing whose they are and being able to name their good and bad. And, I mean, it's just like this holistic way of being. And, and I watched it work in my own family, and I just thought, I am not a better parent than any. <laughs> I am, I say that to parents all the time. Like I'm not any better than anyone else. I just literally got handed a tool and I decided to use it. 
So what about the parents? made the difference. You know, we just don't have time. Don't give me one more thing. I, I've, uh, first of all, I would validate that. Like, that's how it feels. It absolutely feels that way. So there's two ways to answer that. One is that, well, um, it, that might be true. I mean, it looks like you don't have time. I would suggest there's always time. So but it, it doesn't take long. Well, yeah, it, so you're making choices about time. So really, it's a, it's a suggesting to parents, let's, be, let's think about, like what you said, when they're 26 and their marriage is falling apart, who are they coming home to? And what's going to matter in their life is their relationship with God and their relationship with you. And so it's like, actually, I, it's a bigger conversation with parents helping them to understand that they need to be intentional. Because we all just get on this parenting bandwagon and we just follow the people next door and we follow what all of the culture says is important. And then I think that a lot of parents, I've watched it happen. It happened to me. I was just like, oh my gosh, do I really have to have my child in dance class at four? Is this how this works? You know, and so there's just like, almost like there's, in society, there's no one that's actually questioning. I I think actually this new generation of parents is questioning that a lot more on their own than maybe my generation of parents, which is a really... That is a good development for sure. The new parents are more aware of. Yeah, I just think that they're just kind of like looking at society and being like, "Yeah, we don't really want that anyway." So you can say that, but like, we don't, (laughs) we don't want what you're trying to sell us. So we're just gonna do things differently. I feel like there are a lot more young young parents at this point, just kind of opting out of the whole keep up with the Joneses and rat race. Yeah. Rat race. So I like the deal that even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> I'm <almost there. laughs> okay. So you, uh, you then went into full-time family ministry. Did yeah. They, did they call it family ministry then, or was it still youth ministry? They did. They were, they were calling it family ministry then. Cause that was in a, yeah, that this was, was at a church of... who was, that was already committed to it when I got there. I mean, okay. they had like they drunk the Kool Aid, the faith, yeah, the, the, the faith incubator Kool Aid. Okay, um, yeah, and they were already really committed to it. So um, that was just a beautiful thing to kind of walk into already. They were already saying parents have to be involved in their kids' faith, both at home and at church, and so and they're so, hearing it from the pulpit over and over and over. Oh yeah, for. For sure, and and just committed in, like they they made this major move to like move away from traditional Sunday school and actually require parents to come every Sunday. So they killed Sunday school. They did kill Sunday school, and and I wasn't there at the time, but they tell the story that the whole church council and all of the staff was there on that first day. Like they were the ones that were standing in the hallway answering parents' questions and in welcoming kids and parents and just you know creating excitement. So it was. It was everyone, including the past, all the leadership of the church was like, this is who we are, this is our DNA now, and we're going at this full on. Um, And I just really think that that made all the difference. So even when it got bumpy, because it's not not as easy to teach a four-year-old and a 70-year-old in the same room as it is to teach, well, we can talk about that word too, but like, as it is to teach all, you know, Seven-year-olds. Age-appropriate. Well, yeah, but it's just a whole different thing. I mean, age-appropriate is fine, but, like, that's not what we were actually trying to do. Because when you have age-appropriate, you lose lose a whole bunch. I mean, it's fine. Like, age-appropriate does its thing. I think it's fine. Like, it does its thing, but I don't think it does what cross-gen can do. And for us, it was just parents and kids and, you know, grandparents. Yeah, for sure. So you were cross-gen without being intentionally all the ages and stages at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. a lot of grandparents. Yeah. 
Well, and what we found out is that we're a lot, there were a lot of grandparents who brought their grandkids because their kids wouldn't. <laughs> and then, so it was an answer for these grandparents who hearts, whose hearts were literally breaking because they had done what the church had told them to do. They brought their kids to Sunday school. They got them through confirmation. They sent them to Bible camp. They sent them to the youth gathering. They sent them on mission trips. And they... And they and their kids were like, yeah, no thanks. And their kids were not only, yeah, no thanks, but I don't really even care to bring your grandchildren now, my own kids, to church either. And that's so just heartbreaking. Did we inoculate them well? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I just actually had a, a conversation on this last Wednesday night at the church that I'm attending now. I just sat down for a Lenten supper with these older members of the congregation, and they told the exact same story. Like, they literally told the exact same story. And I just watched their faces, you know, pained. And and I got to say to them, you didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You just, We just didn't know. Like, we just didn't know. You did everything right. You did everything right, you know. And, and yeah, they were all, these three ladies were just like, yeah, my... My daughter just doesn't have any desire for it. She just doesn't see any need for it. And my grandkids are like, never went to Sunday school. And and as they're telling the story, they're trying to pretend like it doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. Like I just got this distinct, yeah, they were, they were trying. They were trying so hard to be like angry about it. And what I saw on their faces and quickly turned like within two minutes of conversation to just this deep heartbreak, you know. And actually, I would, I want them to be mad, like not at their kids, but actually mad at the system that taught them that that's what they were supposed to do. I did almost 50 cities last year, and in every city there's some, usually a grandma with tears in her eyes. What, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And, you know, my own grandkids aren't even going to church. Yeah. Maybe they're not baptized. Yeah, then, that's the other thing they talked about. Yeah, the only thing I can flip is you know what every child who walks through this door is your grandchild. <laughs> yes, yeah. not to validate. Yep, yep. But if you still have life in the heartbeat, if you have an you EKG can make a and an EEG, if you've got any brainwaves yeah, going yeah, on, yeah. Um, yeah, these are our kids. So what can we do? Yeah. So you started seeing some things. Some people left the church when you told them they had to go somewhere else if they wanted a Sunday school class. Well. Uh, yes. So again, I wasn't there at that time, but I hear the stories from the leaders that were there, the brave leaders then. Uh, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot of people that left, but some pretty vocal okay. then what happened? people that left. Um, and then over time, well, I just think you know, that people were just like, well, this is my church. And so we're going to try this new thing. I mean, I guess we might as well try it. And, and I, I just think they, people are... <laughs> I'm learning, like, people are pretty committed to their church, you know, which is actually a good thing. They're, most of the people are like, well, you know, we'll we'll stick through a pastor who can't preach. We'll stick through, you know, like, <laughs> we'll stick My through. My friends are the, here. The pastor yeah, we'll stick through the hard time, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, so they, they, they stuck through that time. And then, you know, what happens over time is that then the whole culture just changes. You create a new history. And... I mean, I think you create a new history from the very first week because now people have an experience that's different from what they had before. So it's just one week at a time creating a new history. And then over time, it's like the long history. So that, I mean, if you ask someone who lived 300 years ago, they don't have a context of going to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing will happen in the church when 
generations are together. At, like, that's how we do church, is that we do it together, is that there will come a time when someone will talk about Sunday school as if it were just some ancient thing that the church tried once or did for a while because it worked during that time. So we sat in this office and we were trying to crystallize this down and, and uh, you came to the conclusion that really the core of what we're doing is the best way to incubate faith is every week at church, in CrossGen, and every night in every home. Why do you think those two things are just the best way? The, um... Yeah, I just, we, we did, we sat and we were like, there, there are a million, you know, sort of like taglines. Um, um, and I, Faith, I mean, we came up with this whole uh, faith formation every week at church and every night and every home, like maybe seven, eight, nine years ago now. And we've had a lot of like kind of yearly taglines, like what happens at church shouldn't stay at church. And like all those things are great. There are so many of them. You have so many rich Melheim-isms that you say, and they're all truth. And they're all like quotable and tweetable and all that kind of stuff. For me, this one is the one that felt like it was the umbrella over everything. And, um, and I couldn't quite put my finger on like, how it was the umbrella, but uh, we were just talking through it and all of a sudden it just became really clear that, so you can say every week at church and every night in every home is the best way to incubate faith for people of all ages. What we, what we know, we literally know it, you know it, you've been to a thousand churches talking about this kind of stuff, experimenting, watching it all, is that the best way to, so, so we have two parts. At church every night every week at church and then every night in every home and the best way to do it at church for this time for this time in the church's history is to bring all generations together again because we've lost so much in this age age segregated kind of siloed ministry not that that was bad but 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 especially in this day and age when our young people are not surrounded by grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And many of them, I mean, we have this mobile society and people are all over. Um, and we have so many old people who, older, wiser people who are just cast aside. And, and, and you, more than anyone, probably know the beauty of what happens when you bring all of those people together, that we can learn from each other things that we could never otherwise know and that we can witness to each other about this God in ways that we never otherwise could, never could in an age segregated thing, and so so the so best what do you way get to from do an eighty year old that you don't get from a room full of thirteen year olds. Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> what <do> you get? <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> oh my gosh! That's wow. Um, <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, what does grandma get that she doesn't get from her friends or bridge club or whatever? Oh, um, a, mil a million things. I mean, it, you know, energy and, and worth and, um, and even the wisdom of young people. Like we talk about the wisdom of older people, but, but, and understanding and like perspective and, you know, instead of kind of whatever age and stage you're in thinking like that's it and everybody else outside of it doesn't know what the heck's going on or like, you know, um, every teenager thinks that their generation is going to be the one that's going to save the world. Like every teenage generation has thought that. And then when you put it in perspective of now I'm going to sit at a table with 
with, um, you know, 80-year-old Alvin or whatever. It just brings it all into perspective in a loving context, you know. And then, not to mention the, the depth of faith that both young people and older people have, and children, good Lord, you know, they just have faith that looks different sometimes, but we can certainly learn from each other's expressions and understandings of God. We have, like, we, we have to. So when you think about what is the best way to do church, do church every week at church, is we just know it. We know it. We know it, and I think that that's why we're kind of claiming this every week at church, every night in every home as the, the core statement of what this cross-gen movement is starting now. Cross-gen life looks like this. Every week at church in cross-gen communities and every night in every home. And then the second part of that is like the every night in every home is what does it mean to actually practice faith at home? To actually talk to God, to share with the people that you love and share with God things that are happening and then become self-aware about those things too. And then go into scripture and then ask God what God is up to in these highs and lows. I think like we've talked about before, like that's the hardest part of the faith five or home huddle is, is that bumping up the, the scripture against. But I think it's only hard because we haven't done it since we were two. If we had, if we had been raised in homes where that's what you actually did, we would not think it's hard at all. We would see God at work in everything. You know, it wouldn't be like, oh, I don't, I don't know what God is up to here, but we don't, I don't think we get to a place where we know what God is up to here until we just continually ask the question and become the kind of people that look for it. Because God is certainly up to something. So the, the every week in every church, we believe a Christian community doing this tool of Faith Five, where you're talking about your life, your context, putting it together with text, mm-hmm. applying it, praying for each other and, and blessing um, why is Faith 5, I mean, there's lots of things you could do, but why did you find Faith 5 to be the every night and every home preferable tool for a single mom working three jobs? Yeah. <laughs> Who never had the time but made the time. Yeah. Well, I think that the answer about Faith 5 is the same whether you're doing it at church, in a cross-gen community, or whether you're doing it at home. Um it's that, yeah, the more I do it, the more I learn about it, the more I teach it, the more I model it, the more I launch it in churches, the more I just believe that Faith Five, for some beautiful reason, it like, it just encompasses all. It encompasses, like I've been doing it for how many years? All 15 years. And usually when I come up with a not when I, you know, come up with a, an idea about something, it feels like I get like a certain part of it. But then over time, I'm like, oh, we're missing a piece here. We need to add that in. That has not happened with Faith Five. It feels like this holistic way of of growing, growing disciples, of becoming a disciple myself. So, and, and it's psychological and so all those things that you talk about, um, because both at church and at home. Sharing your life is about relationship, and without relationship with each other, like, that's the body of Christ. That's actually the body of Christ, how God intends it, that we, that we share with one another, and that then we delve into God's Word. Like, you can't go wrong with that. That's, whether you're doing it at church, or you're doing it 
you know, in a small group at church or you're doing it at home with your family or on Skype with your grandchildren, like, again, that that's where we need to go. Like, God gave it to us, so that's where we go. Um, and then bumping that up against our highs and lows in the step three of talking about it is that's where the rubber meets the road. That That's, to me, like the greatest depth of it. And place. that's the hardest part because we haven't... We haven't done it. Yeah, I interviewed someone last night for a project for one of my seminary classes. And I, and I asked them, well, what do you think God is up to? And it was like I was speaking a foreign language. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, like this, again, like faith five can teach us all, especially children from the early on, that they would never even hesitate on a question like that. Mm-hmm. You know, what is God up to? It, it should be, it, we should be able to list 50, 50 things off the top of our head mm-hmm. when we look around in this world. And, and that was just such a stark experience for me just mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, yeah. And but if we then, raise them from pups looking for God's active activity in the world where the text meets the context, well, maybe God's telling me this. Yeah. It's going to be a different church, or at least a different house. Or a different world. Yeah. Well, so you're going to talk in uh, Colorado, huh? <laughs> yeah, this turned into an interview. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was hoping you were just going to keep talking. This is Amy Kippen. And she's a SEM student of all things right now. <laughs> Get to be at camp in the summer, and by Colorado time, uh, you will be on internship. I will. God knows where. God knows where. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> cool.